6. And this morning we'll be pausing in our study of Luke. Having just finished the great sermon on the plain in four weeks, I want to return our attention to something Jesus said in that sermon that as much as I tried to deal with when we're going through the text, um, we'll require an entire morning to do with what the Bible says. And that is probably the most well-known verse in our culture at large. If, if, if Americans know any verse of the Bible, it is almost certainly Luke 6.37 or the, the parallel in Matthew, judge not, you will not be judged. Anyone here ever had someone say that to them? You're familiar with that. We know that. And so when we're going through that, ch- that chunk of the text, we could only spend a few minutes on that topic, but I'd like to devote our entire time this morning to unpacking what that means. I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's all too easy because of the confusion to either overread this into a point where we are silent, we do not speak when we want to speak, we are crippled by a fear that we are judging. Our culture has, has really turned any matter of disagreement can be an accusation of judgment. Our new tolerance goes beyond, I disagree with you, but I, I tolerate you. That's the old understanding of tolerance. Voltaire's I detest what you say, but I will fight for the death for your right to say it. That's the old view of tolerance. New view, I I think you're wrong. I love you, I'm willing to show respect to you, but I think you're wrong. You're intolerant, you're judgmental. So under the new view, you can be crippled into not saying anything. On the other hand, it's too easy to say, oh, this culture is too easily offended and just be a jerk. Jesus does mean something. When he says, do not judge, and and we want to be careful, we're obedient to that. I think we'll see when we look at it this morning, it is challenging, it is convicting. So we're going to try to deal with what is Jesus forbidding here? We're going to get a biblical understanding of sinful judging, a biblical understanding of sinful judging. By its nature, this is topical. That also means there'll be a lot of texts, a lot of texts. You'll see, um, Dwayne will tell you how many there are. Um, He always... You don't know that Dwayne counts the references. It's, it's wonderful. It's awesome. Dwayne, Dwayne, we will probably not hit all these, but I'll only probably ask you to turn to a few of these, but I'll be reading them, and you can, you can check me when you get home, or you can follow along as you like. This is a difficult, difficult topic. There's a lot of work this week trying to narrow it down. The reason for that, first bullet point, is that to judge, that, that verb, that word, in both English and in Greek, has a wide range of meanings. A wide range of meanings. Daniel and I were working on this this week, went to the primary Greek lexicon. Six different meanings for krinomai, or krino, to judge. And of those six, many of them had A, B, C subpoints. I think you can see in English the, the difference. Using good judgment. Um, you use judgment when you, when you buy a car, when you go to the supermarket, you're looking at produce, but a, a judge pronounces judgment in a different sense, right? And you felt judged by people. Broad meaning. Let me just use some examples in Luke. So in Luke 6, 37, our Lord says, this is where we'll start, judge not and you will not be judged. Now turn, turn a page in your Bible, or possibly the same page, to Luke 7. Same word. Every one of these references we'll look at, same Greek word. Just to show you the flexibility, the the width of what this can speak of. And in Luke 7, we have the sinful woman comes in, weeps at Jesus' feet. His host is taken aback. And Jesus says this in trying to explain to the man why this woman's actions are appropriate. And in verse 41, Jesus tells a parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered him, the one I suppose for whom the canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, same word, you have judged rightly. So there it would appear that the word judge just means to decide, to make a distinction, to come to a conclusion. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That just means an accurate view, to size things up rightly. A little later in Romans 14, Paul says, One person esteems one day better than another. Same word, really, to judge, to value. While another person esteems all day is the same. Or probably more complex at all, 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things. 
but he himself is judged by no one. So Jesus, judge not. Paul says, spiritual person judges everything. Well, there, it means to interpret, to rightly understand. And when it says he's not judged by anyone, it doesn't mean that you won't get thrown into courts. What it means is the unspiritual will not understand us rightly. They won't know what to make of us. That's some of the flexibility of judge. And Jesus is not forbidding all of that. So your next point here is this. As you're trying to narrow down, what, what, what is Jesus forbidding? It is always right and good to exercise discernment and to evaluate all things biblically. Whatever judge not means, it doesn't mean don't be discerning. It doesn't mean don't evaluate things. We just saw 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things, which is to say Christians armed with God's word know what to make of everything. When we encounter things in life, we hold God's word up to it, we know how to size it up, we know what to make of it. John 7.24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment, which again is saying don't, don't take the surface value, but if you look with God's word in hand, you will be able to size things up or even more clear still. Hebrews 5.14, the author of Hebrews saying, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. So I just want to pause here. We're going to spend the, the majority of our time dealing with what we're not to do. But what that means is, in our culture today, if someone asks you what you think about a given topic, about, about gay marriage or, or bathrooms, whatever, and you, you give your answer and it's biblical, whatever they say, that's not judging as Jesus speaks of judging. To say, I, I, don't, I disagree with something. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's good. Or I don't think this is a helpful legislation. is not to judge the way Jesus says. Now, make no doubt, you'll, you'll be accused of that. And it's possible you can be a jerk when you say that. You can speak less respectfully, and you should not do that. You should know how to season your words with salt. But simply disagreeing is not judging. Simply stating, no, I don't think this is good, is not judging. It's discernment. We all do it every day. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, as I studied the passages that deal with judging, there's some, some words that get overlaid. Judging being associated, especially when it's forbidden, with, with speaking evil, of, of, of looking down on or holding contempt, condemning. So here's the definition I came up with of what I think Jesus is forbidding. Jesus forbids us from rendering verdicts against others apart from the precepts of Scripture. Jesus forbids us from rendering verdicts against others apart from the precepts of Scripture. Now that definition is chosen specifically. I want to start with the word rendering. It's to deliver over something. And most of what I found in the Bible about judging involves some sort of verbal communication. I suppose it's possible to just simply judge someone in your heart, but about all the instances I saw involves speaking. And so there's this notion of delivering, rendering, passing, communicating, and a verdict. That's the other piece I, I saw. This is, this is no longer a question. This is a settled fact. We see this in our culture when the news media speaks of someone who is in trial but not yet had a verdict. They are the accused or the alleged thief, right? But once the judge hands down that verdict, they're the thief. They're the murderer, right? So when you speak with certainty about something, there's a sense that it's a verdict. It's a done deal. It's no longer up for discussion, it's, it's, it's the difference between saying Bob is a liar. That's, that's a verdict. You can disagree because they know you're wrong, but I'm speaking with it absolutely, right? I've, I've just rendered a verdict. Bob is a liar, which is different from saying, I, I have a hard time trusting Bob. Now, that may or may not still be slander or gossip, but there's a difference. You see, you see the difference? So what Jesus is forbidding here, I think specifically, is rendering verdicts against others apart from the precepts of Scripture. And so that question then, what, what, how does one render a verdict against another in keeping with the precepts of Scripture? That's what we're trying to look at this morning. There are situations. So that's what we've got to avoid doing. Speaking, communicating, firm, established judgments against others apart from the precepts of scriptures. And just to give you some text to back up, I think that's what this means. Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother? Do you see how Paul's 
linking, passing judgment, and despising. Or James 4, 11 through 12, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Notice how James is, is colluding this notion of speaking evil of somebody. Not to them, but about them as a form of judging them. So our definition we're working with, Jesus forbids us from rendering verdicts against others apart from the precepts of Scripture. So then that, of course, begs the question, how, what does that mean? What are the precepts of Scripture in regards to this? We're going to look at over three points. You're going to think of the who, the what, and the how is how we're going to deal with this. First, do not judge beyond your jurisdiction. Do not judge beyond your jurisdiction. And this is probably going to be the strangest notion, the most unfamiliar notion to you. It was to me when I first started chewing on it. We live in a culture in a day and an age with social media, with Facebook, where we feel free to judge and render verdicts on anybody. We'll make cute, clever memes. We'll evaluate what we think of celebrity couples. We certainly feel free to, to make judgments on our leaders and other people, on everything. And I wonder how often we've thought what our Lord says in Luke 12, 14, when somebody asked him to render a verdict, said, man, who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? Jesus, our Lord on earth, whom all authority is given, recognizes, it's really not my job to render a verdict here, sir. And, and that's a challenging thought. Jude gives us this example of, of this. He's, he's, he's highlighting the, the boldness, the brashness of the false teachers. And he says this, in like manner, these people relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the, angel, when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You get that? The archangel Michael recognized it was not within his purview, it was not within his authority to render judgments against Satan. Wasn't, wasn't his job description, wasn't his place. And so he didn't. And so we've got to ask the question, who, what, where does the Lord want us to render judgments? And, and that's, that's, again, a new thought for us. Because again, we live in a world that just celebrates everyone's opinion. Well, what do you think? And what do you think? And what do you think? And so we need to stop and ask ourselves the question, do I have any purview, any legitimacy, any validity in speaking and rendering a judgment on this? Or is this a matter I should be silent on? So, so what then is our jurisdiction? Well, it's not, and this will be challenging. <laughs> Next point, do not judge the world. Do not judge the world, not in this way. Now, open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 5. I want you to see this explicitly. And then we're gonna jump to 1 Peter 2. 1 Corinthians 5, if you have time, you can even jump ahead to 1 Peter 2. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's dealing with the church at Corinth, celebrating, tolerating, not being judgmental towards the guy who's having an affair with his stepmom. And Paul first tells them to exercise judgment on him. We'll get to that in time, but that's one of the places where a judgment can be valid. And then he corrects some of their confusion over how they're to act in this way. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now look at this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. You get that? What Paul is saying is we have no sphere of authority. We have no legitimate purview. We have no responsibility to, to judge outsiders. God's going to judge them. What God says is we need to manage our own household. But let that sink in. Why do we need to render judgments on matters God is going to judge? Why should we be surprised that the Canaanites are acting like Canaanites? I mean, that, that's really what it boils down to. You know, people get upset. They, they become um, aghast at some new policy, some new practice, some new thing. Did we expect the Canaanites were not going to act like Canaanites? It shouldn't surprise us. We can mourn. We can grieve. It is not our place to judge. 
Again, turn to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It's hard to honor somebody while you're pronouncing a judgment against them. And a little later, we see this example, verse 21. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, renounce judgment. What did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's exactly what Paul said. God is going to judge the pagans. And Jesus, knowing that, could keep silent at his mistrial, at the perversion of justice taking place around him, because he knew God would judge. He knew the Lord would judge. Don't judge the world. God will judge the world. Not in this way, pronouncing judgments and verdicts and condemning. Point B. Outside your sphere of responsibility. Outside your sphere of responsibility. And here's the notion. God has given us a responsibility for certain things. He's given us tasks. He's given us charges. And within that sphere, we may have a legitimate right or use to to size something up, to render a verdict, to come to a conclusion, to announce a judgment. But it starts first, point one, with yourself yourself. Feel free, feel obligated to judge yourself biblically. We're commanded to yourself. Paul says, Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. By the way, the apostle Paul assumes not that we'll think too lowly of ourselves, but too highly. If we're going to err, he thinks we're going to err in thinking we're far more important than we are but to think with sober judgment. So use, use judgment when you think about yourself, how you view yourself. Or 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight in the context of communion, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we should have a relentless, uncompromising, unexcuse-making self-examination periodically where we hold God's word up to ourselves and we judge ourselves and we evaluate ourselves and we, we, we identify those places where we need to change and grow. This is the exact point Jesus gets at in the, the parable of the, the guy with uh, um, the, the log in his eye, isn't it? How dare we go around judging other people? we got a log in your eye. Judge yourself. Evaluate yourself first. Our Lord saying this in Luke chapter 6. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So what's my responsibility to judge? Me. What's your responsibility to judge? First and foremost, you. And Jesus is saying, we start there. Before we deal with anybody else, we start with ourselves. Next, we have responsibility within your household. Responsibility within your household. Ephesians 6, 1-4, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that may go well with you. They may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, if you've got kids, need to render judgments. Every time you correct your child, there's a judgment being rendered. You've done, you disobeyed your mother, and it was wrong, right? It's completely legitimate within families, within households. 
fact, this is why one of the qualifications for an elder is he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And Paul, a little later in 1 Timothy 5, refers to these family relationships. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So there's even a responsibility at times for a child to correct his father. He just does it differently. He does it respectfully. He does it honoringly. So within our households, we need to exercise judgment. Again, these are the places we're most likely to give a pass. We give a pass to ourselves, make excuses for ourselves, and then if we're likely to make excuses for anybody, it's got to be the people in our family. Now, you've got to understand, my, my, my children, are, I know most kids, if they act that way, are brats. You've got mine aren't. They're just very smart and very, you've heard, you've heard this, right? When they're that intelligent, they just have a hard time sitting still. Um, exactly. Exactly. So we're to, we're, to have, we're to have sober judgment, first and foremost, to ourselves, not making excuses for ourselves. Second, within our households. Third, your church. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.17, the time is coming for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now again, we're focusing on this beginning. And if it begins with us, what will come of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And you're moving from one family to another. You deal from your household to what, to what Peter and, and Paul refer to as God's household. And the same family interactions and rules apply. Which is why Jesus grants the authority in Matthew 18 in the local church to say this. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But... If he does not listen, take along one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now make no, under, make no misunderstanding. That is a verdict. That is a judgment. We've, we've corporately, when you get to the end of church discipline, we're saying we, we've concluded due to your unwillingness to listen, your unwillingness to change, to, to regard and interact with you as an unbeliever. That's a judgment. That's a verdict. And Jesus grants the authority not to the leadership of the church, not to any one person in the church, but only to the body of the church to render such a judgment. It should be something we do fearfully and soberly. It's granted. This is why I said at the beginning, Jesus forbids us from rendering verdicts against others apart from the precepts of Scripture. So here's a precept in Scripture where it is right and appropriate if we follow correct protocol to render such a verdict. Now, your, your notes stop there. I want to use two other examples I thought of since these notes went to print on Friday. Friday evening, I had a discussion with somebody. There's a very real sense in which evangelism... And, and proclaiming the gospel is a word of judgment, is it not? And that is wholly appropriate as well. God has authorized us when we function as his ambassadors, as his emissaries, to announce the good news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel comes hand in hand with the bad news of judgment on sin. In that case, we're like the, the child whose parents sent them outside to haul the other child in. Dad said you need to come inside. We're not, we're not the judge we're communicating as an ambassador what the judge has said. And so insofar as we're preaching the gospel to unbelievers in the world, that form of judgment would be completely biblical and acceptable. Additionally, there may be other extenuating circumstances that would allow this. If you're a supervisor at work, it is part of your job to evaluate and render verdicts on and performance evaluations on your employees. You may be a police officer or an actual judge or magistrate in the government. And I can think of some examples where that would be wholly appropriate because of your job and because of the responsibilities you have. My, my point in putting these three out here is the most obvious place to start, the most biblical place to start is self judgment, then dealing with our own households, then dealing with the church. And there may be other situations, but the onus is on you to justify why pronouncing, bringing a verdict or judgment is right. You think of Ephesians 4.20, only speaking those words that are necessary for the moment that may give grace to those who hear. So I, I recognize there can be additional situations. I haven't been able to name every one of them. But the onus is on you to, to justify why it's appropriate. Otherwise, consider our Lord's word. Who made me a judge over you? So, so the first point, we've got to judge or judge not beyond your jurisdiction. We've got to recognize the Lord has not called us now to pronounce judgments on everyone and everything. 
Now, there's a very real sense in which Paul says, we will judge angels, and we will judge the world. But now, we follow the pattern of our Lord, who even in the face of Pilate and, and the other leaders who were trying him, he did, he did not pronounce judgment. So, judge not beyond your jurisdiction. Secondly, do not judge using the wrong standard. Do not judge using the wrong standard. Okay, so if we're trying to identify where is it appropriate, the first question is the who. Where and when would it be appropriate for me to speak a verdict against someone else? Well, when it's myself, wholly appropriate. <laughs> Within my household, speaking to my family members, in love, that don't, I'm not assuming this means you're being a jerk, you're being mean, but you're bringing a verdict nevertheless. Now, with what standard do we measure? If the first question asks the who, this is the what. Do not judge using the wrong standard. Jesus makes this point in John 7, 24, when he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It makes the point that even when we try to evaluate and size things up, there's a danger of a superficial, an erroneous judgment, an erroneous conclusion. And Jesus calls us when, in fact, we do size things up, judge that matters, to do it rightly and righteously. So let's, let's look at some points here. First, do not go beyond what is written. Do not go beyond what is written. Or to put it positively, if, you're gonna, if you think it's appropriate in a situation where you need to say something to render a verdict, render a judgment, it better be speaking what God's word speaks and not going beyond what God's word says. Jesus has this to say about those who do in Mark 7, 7 through 8. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. You see, we can, we can judge people for extra-biblical things. We can judge people against our own standards. Oh, you don't have a daily quiet time, huh? If you were really godly, you would. Oh, you haven't shared your faith with anyone this week. I see. And we can, we can create extra-biblical standards we hold people to. And so if we're going to pronounce a judgment, it needs to be what God says, not what I think. Do not go beyond what is written. Or Colossians chapter 2, 16 to 23. Paul says this, and apparently this is a very real problem in Corinth, because not only does he tell people to stop judging, he tells others, don't let people judge you. He says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is in Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. And he says, if with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is it as if you are still alive in this world that you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value and stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So there's a problem in Colossae where people were judging each other. He says, don't let anyone judge you in regards to a, a food or drink or a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. We aren't to go beyond what's written. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what it says. Do not go beyond what is written. Second, do not judge matters of conscience. Turn with me to Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> Probably the most extended treatment on the subject. Most of the chapter deals with this. But there are issues for Christians that can be matters of conscience. Even matters where there is a right answer. Paul's going to use a couple of examples. The most immediate is some Christians coming into the faith only thought they could eat vegetables. Others were eating meat. Now Paul makes it clear he thinks one of those groups has the right answer. It's the meat eaters. You'll see that. Despite that, because these people's conscience is conflicted over it, 
and there's no commandments that require them to eat meat, Paul's going to tell them, leave them alone. As for one who is weak in the faith, now notice Paul's not saying all opinions are, are equal on this matter. He clearly thinks somebody's got the right of it, and somebody's weak, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person means, believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So we know who Paul thinks has the more robust and mature faith. It's the one who eats all things, eats, eats the meat. But despite the fact that Paul thinks, he's, Paul is not saying, in other words, I don't know, who knows. He clearly thinks somebody's right and somebody's weak, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Now, this works both ways. You may be both the brother with the weak conscience or the brother with the strong conscience. Regardless, the temptation is to despise or judge the other person. Oh, have you ever noticed how that works out? That, that anyone who's got a looser interpretation than me is, is licentious. They're, they're not serious. But anyone who's got a stricter view is a legalist. And amazingly, I landed just right. You ever notice that? So, no, no, you, you know what I mean, right? Oh, they watched that television show. You know, it's just one step beyond what you watch. Oh. But then you've got other people that, that you know, won't watch something. Or they're, they're kind of legalistic. And there's a range here of conscience, of what your conscience will let you watch, what your conscience will let you participate in. And, and the danger is either looking at the person with the more strict view or the more lenient view to judge and despise. And, and Paul forbids it. We're not to judge in matters of conscience. And Christians have conscience issues over consumption of alcohol, conscience issues over issues of tobacco, conscience issues over what to do with Sundays, it ever right to work on Sunday, all sorts of conscience issues. And, and I think the Bible speaks to them. They're not even issues that I think are, are unclear, but they're conscience issues. And, and Paul says a little later that I'm to keep my views on those things to myself, between myself and God. Look, look a little later when he says in verse um, 22 of chapter 14, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. In other words, don't go tell it to your brother. Keep it to yourself. Oh, you've worked through that. You, you know where you land on those issues. Wonderful. Keep it to yourself. That doesn't mean we can't have healthy discussion about it. It doesn't mean someone says, hey, I noticed that you, uh, you never work on Sunday, or I noticed you take shifts on Sunday. I'd love to know what you think about that. That's great. That, that can be a very healthy thing. But in regards to going and trying to impose my view on someone else, Paul says, keep it to yourself and God. Which is, again, to say, I don't have the jurisdiction or the authority to judge your conscience. I simply don't, and I ought not to. Do not judge matters of conscience. Point C, do not judge specific thoughts and motives. Specific thoughts and motives. Now, we just saw last week and the week before that the tree is known by its fruit, that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. There is a very real sense that you can have some idea of what's in someone's heart by what they do. That's why I put specific. You know, if corrupt words come out of someone's mouth, I can know, based on what Jesus says in Luke 6, something corrupt in the heart came out. You know, you shake the Coke bottle up, Coca-Cola comes out. But what those specific thoughts are, I got to be very careful in playing God and assuming I know exactly what you were thinking and exactly why you did what you did. I don't know. I'm not God. Paul was dealing with this problem in Corinth where they were sizing him up and despising him. Listen to what he writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. But for me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart." Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now, when Paul says, I don't even judge myself, he's not saying, I never evaluate my actions. He's dealing with the hidden things of the heart. And what Paul is getting at is, he's saying, even I don't fully know why I do what I do. And he says, I, I, I pray and I evaluate myself, and my conscience, he says, doesn't accuse me. I'm not aware of anything that I'm doing wrong. That does not therefore acquit me. 
Just because your conscience is leaving you alone doesn't mean you're doing everything right. This is a profound, profound passage. I'm not aware of anything against myself, Paul writes. I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And when he tells them, do not be hasty in their judgment, but wait for the Lord who will bring to light the hidden purposes of the heart. You need to be very, very careful when you find yourself judging someone's motives and thoughts. Very, very careful. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? To which we're tempted to say, I can. I know what he was thinking. I know why they did what they did. You gotta be really careful of that. Now, two caveats to that. You can, with God's word, talking to someone, reveal the heart, draw it out of them. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So you can sit down with somebody and you can talk to them, and you can show them what God's word says, and you can draw out of them, and according to Proverbs 20, verse 5, the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water. A man of understanding will draw it out. Now, you can certainly do that and have their own words confirm what they are thinking. If someone tells you what they were thinking and tells you what was going on in their heart, well, then we can say, okay, that was good or that was bad or whatever. But without that confirmation... I can know something's going on. I mean, James 4 says, look, wherever there's quarrels and conflicts, you want something. So I can see somebody fighting with their claws out, and I can say, in their heart, there's something they want. In their heart, there's something they want to fight for. Sure, Scripture makes that clear. What exactly it is they want, I don't know. And I'd be very cautious before I say, they, they just want everyone to think they're the big shot. I know them. I, I don't know that. I've got to be very careful. I've got to hear Paul's admonition to, to withhold judgment and wait for the Lord to reveal the hearts of men. We are not to judge specific thoughts and motives. By what standard? Finally, do not judge hastily. Do not judge hastily. The, the standard of evidence that Jesus uses in Matthew 18 that we've read and also the standard of evidence that's very similar and used even in our country's legal system is really found in Deuteronomy 19, 15 to 18. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime of wrongdoing in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses that shall the charge be established. So you, you recognize that from Matthew 18. Take along two or three witnesses so that everything can be established. There's that standard of evidence only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing. Both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days, and the judges shall inquire diligently. Not only do you have a high standard of evidence, but before these judges render a judgment, they need to really evaluate and investigate things diligently. And again, our temptation is armchair uh, judges is just throw our verdicts out when we haven't done any investigation. We don't really know the... I mean, please don't think that if you saw a news headline on the internet, you understand something. Please don't think if you saw a meme, you understand something. Proverbs, these, these are Proverbs to, 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 to write on your hand. These, are pro, these, these things hit me every day. Proverbs 18.13 and Proverbs 18.17. Listen to these. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, he is a fool, he's being foolish, and he's acting shamefully. And I have to admit, many, many times, I'm acting like a fool, and I'm acting shamefully. Or Proverbs 18, 17, just a few verses later, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. We've all had that have happened, haven't we? You hear one side of a story. With kids, this happens all the time. All the time. You know, Abner hit me. Really? Abner, what happened? Well, she was throwing rocks at me. Oh, you know, things change. Things change. This is why we need to learn different types of vocabulary. You have a friend come share a story with you. And I, I've had to learn this in counseling. People will tell me about all things that are going on with it. And I'll have to re reserve judgment and say things like, what you're describing sounds really awful. And I'm not saying that patronizingly. I just recognize I've only heard one side of the matter. 
And so as much as I might be tempted to say, yeah, it sounds like your husband's a jerk or your wife's being um, foolish or whatever, until I've spoken to the other side, I, I dare not render a verdict. What you've described sounds awful. sounds very unwise. What you've described sounds challenging. But I'm recognizing I've only heard one side of a matter, and I, and I should not bring a judgment, shouldn't bring a verdict until I've investigated both sides. I must not be hasty. We've got some biblical examples of this, don't we? Remember when... If you guys are in the small groups going through Samuel, Hannah, Samuel's mother, is at the prayer at the temple and she's praying and she's muttering and Eli just comes up and he thinks she's drunk. And rather than investigating, he just rebukes her. How long will you go on in your drunkenness? It's foolish and shameful. That's what Proverbs says. The man was a fool and acted shamefully. Or if you've been going on in our small groups, David, he's fleeing Jerusalem. Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, comes and tells him a story about how Mephibosheth, who's, who's one of Saul's descendants and Jonathan's sons, wanted to stiff-arm David. And David, without hearing both sides of the matter, says, okay, everything that Mephibosheth owns is yours now. And then when David returns from, from the, after Absalom's been defeated, Mephibosheth comes out and in tears praises God for his return and says, my servant lied. And David, again, doesn't investigate. Okay, you guys can split your stuff. And he goes off. That's foolish. That's not wise. We must not be hasty in our judgments. This is challenging because we want to just sort of fire him off, don't we? So you've got to really ask yourself, if you're going to speak about something strongly, do you really know what you're talking about? Have you heard both sides of the matter? Have you spoken to both parties? Have you given a hearing to it? Or are we acting shamefully and foolishly? Do not judge using the wrong standard. Use righteous judgment, Jesus says. Finally, do not judge with evil motives. Do not judge with evil motives. Now we're getting to the heart. So we've looked at the who, we've looked at the what, the standard, and now the heart, my own attitude. And we'll, and we'll fire through these. We've seen these. I think these will be pretty obvious. One, do not judge hypocritically. Do not judge hypocritically, which means by a standard that you are not trying to or willing to keep. It's pretty straightforward. Don't get mad at somebody for doing something that you do yourself and are not trying to stop. Paul says this in Romans chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And we know that God's judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Hypocrisy is one of the chief things that angers our Lord. Or the Apostle Paul, when he's being flogged by the priest. Acts 23.3, then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you going to sit in judgment in me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, order me to be struck? Play by your own rules. Live by your own standards. We've got to avoid hypocrisy. Second, don't judge with evil motives. Don't judge self-righteously with yourself as a standard. And that's really the key here. Hypocrisy is I do the same thing. Self-righteously is when I see someone who struggles with something I don't struggle with. Maybe you don't struggle with gambling. Maybe you don't struggle with drugs and alcohol. Maybe you don't struggle with sexual sin. Maybe you don't struggle with pride. But somebody else does. And that offends you. We saw that already in Luke's gospel with the Pharisees. Levi makes a feast for Jesus. Verse 30 of chapter 5, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus is saying, the reason why you guys are such jerks in your judgment is because you view yourselves as right. I've got a friend of mine seems Chris, who, who likes to put it this way to highlight this. It's when you, in effect, come to someone and say, God and I think that you ought to. <laughs> and that sort of highlights it, doesn't it? God and I think. And, and so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, 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 are we really measuring people by God's standard or by ourselves? And I think the way of indicating that is how much personal offense we take at it. A little later in Luke, in chapter 18, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You see the connection between self-righteousness and contempt for others? 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How much compassion and sympathy do you have with people who struggle with things you don't struggle with? That's a measure of how self-righteously we can judge. Next, do not judge with evil motives. Don't judge critically. Don't judge critically, seeking to hurt and destroy. Again, we've seen this in Luke. Luke 6, 7. The scribes and the Pharisees gathered around Jesus not to hear from him, not to learn from him, but to see whether he'd heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Which is to say, don't go around looking. Gotcha. That's the Pharisees. If we're going to correct somebody, if we're going to bring a word of judgment to somebody, it ought to be in the spirit of Galatians 6, 1 to 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you be tempted. Also bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I put it to you this way. If you're, before you speak a word against somebody or to somebody, are you willing to help restore them? Are you willing to walk with them through that? If the answer to that question is no, if you don't think it's your responsibility to help restore them, may I suggest to them, you, it's not your responsibility to judge them. If it's somebody else's job, let them go to a recovery program. I don't want to walk with them. Let the recovery program deal with them. Then let the recovery program judge them. Fair enough? If you're not willing to walk with someone and restore someone and bear their burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, then keep your mouth quiet. If you do not deem it your responsibility to help, it's also not your responsibility to judge. Don't, don't do this critically as a way of tearing down, like the Pharisees. No, no, if, if we're bringing in a judgment in the body, it's to help restore, to correct, to heal. Like a doctor bringing a, a, a diagnosis that is not pleasant, but he does so that he might heal the disease. Next, point D, do not judge unlovingly unlovingly. Now listen to these couple phrases from 1 Corinthians 13, 17 that, that are just massive in their import on how we think. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What that means is this, we are obligated by love to give others the benefit of the doubt. Could there be a legitimate explanation for what happened? Could there be a righteous solution to what I see? And as long as there's a possibility that there could be some extenuating circumstances, this gets back to doing your diligence and gathering the data. Questions that need to be asked, you need to withhold judgment. So there are plenty of times I see things that warrant further inspection. They're suspicious or whatever. That doesn't look good. I've got to withhold any and all judgment until I actually know the facts in the meantime, rather than thinking evil of someone, I'm hoping and believing the best for them. To do otherwise is to not love. We don't judge unlovingly. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We try to think well of them. It's challenging and it's difficult. But we all know of situations where we've come to hasty judgments. I mean, dead wrong. Finally, do not judge maliciously. Maliciously. Critically is about tearing someone down. This is about spreading gossip and slander. And we often do it in the form of, I have a prayer request. I just want to share a prayer request with you. If you could just pray for Bob. Um, Appreciate that. Just listen to how much Scripture speaks to this. This gets, again, back to what our motives are. Are your motives to help and to heal or to spread around someone's shame, to uncover their nakedness? Leviticus 19, 16 to 18. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against your life or your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Someone bugs you. Someone does something you think is wrong. Don't talk about them. Go talk to them. Proverbs twenty nineteen: Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. 
Proverbs 26, verses 20 to 22. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Which is to say, once you start speaking ill of other people, it's very hard for other people to forget that. This is why Matthew 18 says, if a brother sins, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. It's, it's rare that I need to render a judgment about somebody else to somebody else. That's rare. I may need to go talk to somebody. That's why James says, brothers, do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, there is a time and a place for us to render verdicts. We go back to our definition in closing here. Jesus forbids what he forbids here. He says, do not judge, is rendering verdicts against others apart from the precepts of Scripture. And that means we've got to consider what is our legitimate jurisdiction. We've got to consider by what standard are we judging them. And we've got to do the work in our own hearts first. Is my heart even right to do this? And to the degree we're doing that, we're following Christ. And to the degree that the culture calls us on breaking these principles, they are right. It's a sober and serious thing. We will all one day judge the world and judge angels. Let us follow the example of our Lord and judge righteously by the right standard with the right heart in our legitimate jurisdiction. Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord God, we just pray that you give us the wisdom and the discernment that we would close our mouths when we ought to close them, that we would recognize that you are the one true judge, and you will judge the world in righteousness. You do not need our help. So let us only speak when we ought to speak. Let us only um, render these judgments when you command us to, as your servants, recognizing that we ourselves are not the judge. Lord, we are so thankful that we will escape your judgment. Let us be people of mercy and love, not critical-spirited, not people who tear down, but people who want to heal and build up, Lord God. Let us be known for our love. Let us be known for our kindness. Let us be merciful as you, our Father, are merciful. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you, Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. You are dismissed.